0: One of the remarkable things about the Christian faith is that people like Jesus. I mean, it's not remarkable that people like Jesus. It's remarkable how many people like Jesus, how widespread people's admiration for Jesus is. Even people who aren't Christians often admire Jesus. The, the uh, entire Muslim re, uh, religion admires Jesus. He's not their top prophet, but they admire him as the prophet uh, Issa. So so uh, Muslims uh, admire Jesus. Um, uh, Gandhi admired Jesus. People who don't like Christianity still admire Jesus and I think I know one of the reasons. In fact, I'm sure I know one of the reasons. And it's the way Jesus interacts with religious authorities. And it's kind of like this. Can you uh, show us the picture? Sorry. <laughs> This is the way Jesus uh, uh, typically interacts with religious authorities. Um, there's usually a knockout involved, and it's not Jesus. Uh, Jesus Jesus has these confrontations with religious authorities, and they say, Jesus this and Jesus that, and bam, next thing you know, they're on the floor with the little uh, birds uh, tweeting around their head. That's the way Jesus typically interacts with the religious authorities who confront him with some perceived um, problem. Uh, and... Um, and uh i have to admit i i like that but i like it less now that i'm on this side of the pulpit um, you know when i was sitting in the pews and i wasn't a religious authority you could say all right yay jesus and now i find it's a little bit uh, uh it makes me a little bit uneasy sometimes because because i see in them things that unsettle me when jesus confronts them so um, i don't say that because because i'm unique in fact i think that this passage today um, has something for all of us to be uneasy about. Because in this passage, this is one of the most succinct expressions of the gospel that you can find in the Bible. In it, in it Jesus says something that can make everybody uneasy because he answers the question that is in the back of our minds. Uh, he answers the question, what does God want? You know, I think it's easy to come to church, and the more you hear the preacher say, uh, Jesus paid it all. Jesus, Jesus did everything so, so you can be saved. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. That, that you hear people talk about, about how it's free grace and, and it's a gift from God. And, and I believe those things are all true. But I think in the back of our head, we hear it and say, okay, so what does God want? If there's nothing I can do and Jesus has done it all, then what does God want from me? What does God want from me? And this passage Answers that question as clearly as any other I can think of. So I want to look at it very closely. Uh, What does God want from us? Jesus is having a confrontation as we begin as we begin the lesson. Jesus is having a confrontation with people who know the answer to that question. They know exactly what God wants from us. God wants religion. They are the religious leaders. We read that when he entered the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him. The chief priests and elders; these are the religious authorities. They are the the very pinnacle of the re- religious establishment in the the life of the Jewish people in the first century. They know exactly what God wants. God wants religion. God God wants morality, and He wants ritual. God's got a a long list of things to do and things to avoid doing, and those are the morals. And then there's rituals, which which um, are are more things that god wants to do that don't fall in exactly the same category uh the morals are things like like some of them make sense things like like um don't kill uh don't don't uh, murder don't commit adultery don't steal things that we can say okay all right i i understand how that would be a good thing if everybody did that there's other things where you look at it and go i don't get it i read it and i go uh why can't i have clothing like that or or uh, why can't I eat food prepared in that way, or why can't I even eat that food at all? And I can look at uh, some parts of, of the moral code and uh, the legal, the legal uh, religion and say, I don't understand why that would be. But there's another part, which is the, the ritual life, and the purpose of that largely is to take care of lapses in obeying the first part. So if there's 635 things you're supposed to do according to the legal code, and you don't do them all, Well, it's okay because there's a ritual to take care of that. You go to the temple, you offer a sacrifice in a certain prescribed way, and then your moral lapse is covered over. The people that Jesus is having this argument know exactly what God wants. God wants religion. Have you ever been to that church? I think a lot of us have been to that church. Uh, some of us went for a long time. Some of us, some of us, uh, uh, left. Some of us wish we could go back. But our lesson today tells us about the time Jesus went to that church. See, that's, that's what provoked the controversy. Uh, right before the passage where we, where we begin, Jesus went to that church. And when he went to that church, the church of religion, the church of ritual and morality, he didn't like what he saw. And he started flipping tables over and he started driving the animals out of the temple and the people who traded the animals and the people who changed the money. He drove them out of the temple of religion because Jesus didn't like that church. And the people who were in charge, the the authorities, the chief priests and the elders of that church, they came to him and said, who gave you the authority to do that? Now, what's striking to me is how mild a reaction that is. These people are phenomenally secure in their own authority. That's why they can come to Jesus and ask, who gave you the authority to do that? Picture this. Somebody comes to our church. okay? Somebody comes into our church. We don't know them. They're from out of town. They've got a funny accent. They sound kind of like a hillbilly to our more educated anchorage years. (laughs) They come into the church and they see something they don't like and they get rid of it. They, They look around, I don't like that piano. And they wheel it down the aisle, out the doors and down the steps. Do you think our elders and our pastor would simply go to that person and say, who gave you the authority to do that? No, we would not. We would be outraged. So the fact that they were as mild as they are shows how secure they are. They're very comfortable in their authority. They know whoever this crackpot is, he's not got any real authority. So they say, who gave you the authority? And Jesus says, I'll answer that question if you answer one of mine. Jesus says, says I will tell you by what authority I do these things. And he poses this question for them. Did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? Now he's talking about John the Baptist and you can go uh look at chapter 3. I've got a chunk of it here. Um, uh Jesus uh can you can you go to the the part from Matthew 3. Um, there it's it's flagged in there's one of the questions in the program so you can go look this up later if you want. But to summarize, uh, this is who John the Baptist is. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea proclaiming repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what John the Baptist did. And I'm supposed to have a sticky to help me find that, but now I do. So that's what John did. John showed up, John showed up, and he uh, said, Repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And the people went out to him, and they were baptized in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And Jesus says, That guy, that guy we all know about, John the Baptist, What was up with that baptism did he have authority to do that and if so where did he get the authority to do it and the religious leaders say well you know that wasn't religion right that was people going out to the jordan and repenting and getting baptized that wasn't religion so it's not what god wants so they argued if we say from heaven he will say to us why did you not believe him but if we say of human origin, then we're in trouble because a whole bunch of people went out to the river to get baptized, and they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they shrug. They say, we don't know. Uh, John the Baptist, who knows? I don't know. And Jesus says, well, I'll tell you what, if you're not willing to talk about John's authority, there's no point in getting started on mine. If you're not willing to talk about who has authority and how they receive it, then there's no point in having this conversation about my authority. He says, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. But Jesus does not let them off the hook. He says, okay, you won't talk about brass tacks. Let's talk about hypotheticals. Okay, let's let's move it into the realm of the abstract. Let me ask you a different question. He says, what do you think about this? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. Now, To us, a vineyard is just a place you work. It's just one of dozens of places you might go work. But this immediately sets off all the alarm bells in the religious leaders' heads because what their mind goes straight to is this famous passage in the book of Isaiah where God likens his people to a vineyard and talks about all the things that God has established, the the ritual law, the kingdom, all the things that God has done to make sure that his people bear good fruit. He built a hedge, and he put up a tower, and he, he did this and he did that. There's a, a long list of things that God recites, saying, I did all this stuff. I established all of this religion and all of uh, the civil leadership in my, in my country so that my people would bear good fruit, and they haven't borne good fruit, so what am I going to do? He doesn't say, I'm going to torch the vineyard. He says, I'm going to tear down... The walls. I'm going to tear down the tower. I'm going to knock down all that infrastructure that I put in place to ensure there would be fruit. So people whose job is infrastructure, they know what Jesus is saying here. When he says vineyard, they know they're on a, a, a very slippery slope. So Jesus says, son, go and work in the vineyard today. The man said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. And the father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. So Jesus asked, which of the two did the will of his father? Well, uh, uh, there's no question. Uh, you can't avoid this one. They say, well, the, the, the first one, the one who actually did the will of his father, not the one who talked about it, but didn't do the will of his father. And Jesus says, that's you. They're thinking, that's us. We do the will of our father. And Jesus says, no, all you do is talk about it. All you do is give lip service to doing the will of your Father. He says, truly, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. What does he mean by that? Well, first of all, we have to understand who tax collectors and prostitutes are, particularly in the eyes of these religious leaders. Uh, we, we can imagine, well, you know, I don't know, how bad a sin prostitution is? Is it worse than this or better than that? We can try and establish a ranking and say prostitution is is so bad, and maybe maybe a pandering is 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 this bad and human trafficking is that bad and we can kind of try and establish it, but we can all agree that prostitution is not a good thing that it 's a sin but then tax collecting tax collecting we just miss this okay um, I know none of us like tax collectors. And in the news the last couple of months, we found out that depending on your political persuasion, maybe tax collectors don't like you either. But we do not have a clue about the tax collectors in the Bible. We're going to find out more about them next week. We're going to, we're going to read the story of a, of a major tax collector. But suffice it to say today that, that they are the worst sinners you can find. They are, they are cheaters and they're traitors. They're a combination of the worst two things you can be. They, are as bad as it gets. It's interesting, if you look in the Bible, whenever they talk about tax collectors, it's tax collectors and somebody bad. Tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors and prostitutes. Tax collectors are so bad that it wouldn't do justice to sinners to put tax collectors in the same category. They're as bad as it gets. Tax collectors are horrible people. And Jesus says, they're going into the kingdom of God ahead of you them and the prostitutes. Why? Is it because God likes tax collecting? Because God likes cheating and treason? Is it because God likes prostitution? Is that why they're going into the kingdom of heaven? No, Jesus answers that question. He says, "For John came to you in the way of righteousness. John came to you as a prophet in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. The tax collectors and the, and the prostitutes believed what John had to say. What did John have to say? John said, as we saw, um, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent is unfortunately to us, it's just a church word. We don't, we don't think what repent means, but what repent means is change your mind. This whole passage is about changing your mind. And John says repent. John says repent, change how you think about God. Quit thinking about God as a guy with a checklist of things to do and things to not do who's, who's watching over you and seeing how you rate. Quit thinking of God that way. Start thinking of God as a king whose kingdom has come near. Now, again, for us, a king, I don't know if I, is that a good thing or a bad thing? In Jesus' time, it was crystal clear a king was a good thing because a king had power to bring order. In a world where there was, where there were invasions, uh, from without and sometimes chaos and banditry and and who knows what kind of trouble within a kingdom when a king had power when a king took the throne those kinds of chaos came to an end so john said god is not somebody with a checklist who's going to monitor you and and rate your behavior god is a king who can bring order to the messiest parts of your life god can bring Order. God can, can jump into your life. He can begin healing the things that are hurt and fixing the things that are broken. God is near. You can have God's power working in your life right now. So quit thinking about God this way. Repent. Change your mind about God. Quit thinking of God this way. Start thinking of God this way. And Jesus says, says they believed him. Of course they believed him. They knew they could never, they could never measure up. If it's a checklist, there's no hope for them, right? The religious leaders, they, they, they can maybe get in on a curve at least because there's those tax collectors and prostitutes over there, right? That, that maybe they haven't hit every single mark, but they're going to do better than most. So for them, morality and ritual is the, is, is the easy way in. The prostitutes and the tax collectors, they know there's no hope for them if the question is morality. So they chose immorality, I might as well enjoy this life as much as I can because there's clearly no hope for me and God. And John says, change your thinking about God. It's not about keeping points on a list. It's about a king who can begin to work in your life. And Jesus says it is. And then he, and then he says, but there's an even better way of thinking about God. He says, there was a man who had two sons, he says, God is a king for sure. But beyond that, he is a loving father. And when you say no, and then change your mind and begin laboring in his vineyard, he loves you and forgives you. And Jesus holds out that option for the religious leaders. He says, he says, He had two sons. He doesn't say he had one son and and then this kind of family pet who ran the religion. He says he had two sons. Jesus holds open the option. It is not too late, even now. They've gone into the kingdom of heaven ahead of you, but the door is not closed. You can still go into the kingdom of heaven. That is the challenge Jesus leaves them with, and it's the challenge he leaves us with. How do we want to think of God? Are we going to think of God as the guy with a checklist, or are we going to think of God... As a loving father and a powerful king who can work in our lives. If we choose the loving father, if we choose the powerful king, it is the hardest choice we will make. It is so easy to go in the other directions, to go in the direction of irreligion or religion. But to think of God as a father or even as a king requires a relationship, a day by day walking in trust leaning into the relationship and it's the hardest thing to do it's so much easier to have a church of ritual and morality the reason so many of us have been to that church is because religious authorities keep making them and the reason we keep making them is because you keep asking there are so many churches that are graceless temples of religion and jesus is saying change your mind He said it was hard. And so he gave us two things. First of all, he said it would be easier in community. So we don't have to walk that life of trusting God by ourselves. We can do it together as a church. But churches sometimes stray too. So he said, I've got another ritual for you. Forget about all those other rituals. I've got one of my own. Here's what I want you to do. And so, He told them the night before he was arrested, I want you to have a meal. Now theologians are going to spend the next 2,000 years arguing exactly what happens in this meal. But everybody agrees it is at least a ritual to remind you of what I have done. We're about to celebrate that meal today. And if you think of God as a guy with a checklist and you figure, well, maybe you're going to get enough of a score to get in. Or if you know there's no hope for you, and so you're just going to party hardy while you're here on earth. If that's the way you think of God, Jesus invites us to think of God as a loving father, a man who had two sons. My prayers will do that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news that Jesus brings to us, the news that you love us, that you are our Heavenly Father and not a man with a checklist watching us. Lord, we pray that you would help us live into that reality, help us day by day to avoid irreligion on the one hand and religion on the other. Help us to be creatures of grace and help us to show it in this world. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.